There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the Matrix on June the 1st, 2010. Newcomers, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com websites. I always suggest you bookmark all the other sites I have up there because I do get problems with them alternating here and there, quite frequently in the past few weeks, in fact. So if you bookmark the other sites, you can always download the latest shows. Remember, all the sites there have the same audios for download. They all have English transcripts of a lot of the talks I've given in the past, which you can download for print-up. And if you go into Alan Watt Sentient, Sentinel.eu, the European one, you'll also get uh, the audios and transcripts uh, for print-up in other languages too. Now, while you're in the sites, remember to order the books I have for sale. That keeps me just ticking over. I do say ticking over because, believe you me, this is not a business. And uh, I could go with advertising. I could bring on guests for advertising and so on. But um, it, it kind of diminishes... Um, your perception or the public's perception if you start doing that. So I try, I try to go this way and really it's only a few people who support me month after month. It's the same people all the time. Thousands and thousands listen. Uh, universities use the material and so on, but it's only the few people keep me going. So if you want to keep me going, purchase the books I have for sale or donate to me. And uh, donations are welcome. From the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check. You can also use an international postal money order from the post office. Or you can send cash or PayPal. Use PayPal for ordering or donating. Just use the donate button, send me the donation, and a separate email with your order, your name and address, and I'll get it out to you. Across the rest of the world, same idea. You can also use Western Union or MoneyGram or cash, as I say. And uh, the post isn't too bad. It gets a bit slow at times, but it it always gets here. Now, I've talked so much about reality and how we take things for granted because everyone else does too. And your parents did as well. They had their conditioning for their particular era by the psychological experts and behaviorists. And that gave them their culture. That guided them through life gave them their principles, uh, the new moralities and so on. We're always having new moralities for the new age. And uh, we're all recipients of this. It's all around you. Most people don't know it. They simply adapt into it. And peer pressure is also used to reinforce this. The same techniques, of course, are used across the board. I'll be touching on some of this tonight, how uh, they're using the Internet to form your opinions And believe you me, they knew before they gave you the Internet, that's where they were going to go with it and form the right kind of opinions that you should have uh, so that you would conform to the society which they had already designed for you to to experience in your lifetime. It's an ongoing process. It's high high level. It's uh, all that the top universities are involved in this have been for a long, long time. And people like Sunstein and others 
and the behaviorists have pretty well figured out where they want to take the world, and all academia is on board with this. They work hand-in-glove with marketing companies, the top marketing companies, so that you get assaulted from a, a whole range of media uh, with particular ways of living, uh, ways of behaving. Um, and, of course, today is conservation. That's a big thing, conserving austerity and so on. And most people really are oblivious that they're the target of it, even when they adapt into it automatically by osmosis. They don't think through it. They simply adapt because punishment and reward is used uh, to go along with this and reinforcement for acceptance in your peer group. Back with more after the following messages. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt, we're cutting through the matrix. And before we get into social influencing, very benign term, but it's a very important subject because it's, it's high-level marketing using uh, top psychology to alter your behavior en masse, basically, knowing you want to conform to the peer group. And so they create the trend for the peer group. And I'll go into that tonight, but first I want to touch on health services, which I've mentioned so many times before, are health authorities. That's the whole idea of creating national health services. And there's much propaganda out in national health service countries to convince the public who are under them uh, that it's a great thing and how wonderful it works and so on. Uh, And it sounds that way until you need them and you find out there's a whole horror story behind trying to get in and get treated and so on. And that's why folk end up phoning ambulances to get into emergency, because if you manage to get walking or get carried, and they won't, you're last on the list. All this kind of stuff. Everything's cost-effectiveness, because then it's politicized by government policies. And it all comes down to economics eventually, and your social worth and status within the society, within your community for communitarianism. Because that's the way we're supposed to go, uh, at the end of austerity, that is, which means utter poverty. Therefore, they need these agencies all to rule over us, you see. But, you know, Britain, for instance, is probably one of the top socialist countries on, on the planet. They've had, that doesn't matter what party's been in, when you really look behind the scenes, they've signed on to every international agreement that there's ever been put in front of them by the United Nations. In fact, the United Nations was born from the guys' minds in London. And they want to bring in this world empire, of socialist empire. And to be honest with you, the ones who rule Britain don't see the peasants of Britain in any different light than the peasants of China or India or anywhere else. They really don't. And they're internationalists. They always have been. Of course, they do themselves, see themselves as more evolved, a higher species, uh, and they can mix quite freely with their peer group of the higher species in other countries as well who've clawed their way up to the shop through devious means, good psychopaths, and the one attribute they show to each other is that they don't just slaughter each other right off the bat. They tend to compromise and work together as long as they can keep uh, funneling money into their own pockets and living a life of luxury. So national health services are, are really something else, and I've got so many articles here about how they've slashed back uh, millions and millions, and there's, there's millions more to get cut back now from Britain and other countries, and the U.S. too, by the way, as I read last night. 
because of the IMF. The IMF is now in the picture. And, and yet when this is going on, there's so much corruption with the politicians daily in Britain and, and socialist countries with them filling their pockets. It's a daily occurrence with them ripping off the public and funding expenses uh, thousands of dollars per week of expense, uh, pounds even per week into their own pockets. They just got one guy from the Treasury, another one who's a homosexual, who, which is quite trendy in Parliament, but in the House of Lords. But, but the fact is, he was keeping his gay lover uh, using taxpayers' money. And the, this guy's a multi-millionaire, a multi-millionaire. And he's still ripping off the public to keep his gay lover, who was, who was then investing it in a second place uh, to buy a bigger, a bigger mansion. You know, I mean, they don't need this. It's just utter greed, you see. What else can there be when you've got power and influence? It's just like an addiction to more greed. As they're slashing millions from the care of patients and have been for years. Now, here's an article here. It's from Healthcare Republic. It says, National Health Service Chief Executive pockets second highest public sector salary. This is, this is a slashing is the care for the people. Uh, June the 1st, 2010, the Chief Executive of the National Health Service has the second highest salary in the public sector and earns almost twice as much as a Prime Minister, a list of top earning public sector staff reveals. The National Health Service Chief Executive pockets, um, he pockets 100 and 50,000 pounds. It says, the list of 171 public workers earning more than 150,000 pounds places David Nicholson, he's the head of the NHS, he earns between 255,000 pounds and 259, almost two, it's almost 260,000 pounds per year. It's just slashing back millions. See, these guys are CEOs, as, and you could, could swap them into businesses, and they're getting rewarded for slashing the budget, basically, for the, on behalf of the government. That's a reward for it. So he, he's, he's, he's um, in second place, just behind the top earner, John Fingleton, who's the chief executive of the Office of Fair Trading. He probably comes under uh, Prince Andrew or, 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 or Fergie's husband. Who, who's getting 500,000 pounds for bribes, for trade deals. Uh, everything is so corrupt. Honestly, it's, it's so corrupt. And there's so much propaganda coming out now, too, of how they're going to have clarity and shine some lights into Parliament. And their Utter rot. Only psychopaths are chosen for this. And they're chosen, actually, by those who run the world. Then it lists all the other ones. Sir Liam Donaldson is a former chief medical officer. He was on £205,000 to £209,999 a year. Christine Connolly, chief information officer, £200,000 to £204,999. I like the 999, like the ads in TV, eh? It doesn't sound so bad rather than say 205000 Gabriel Scally, Regional Director of Public Health, she's on £200,000 to £204,999. David Salisbury, Director of Immunisation, well, he's going to get us a big boost because they've got so much contracts now with pharma, £175,000 to £179,999. Sir Hugh Taylor, Permanent Secretary, £155,000 to £159,999. <laughs> 
And then they've got a full list of the high earners there. David Cameron recently announced, this is the Prime Minister now apparently, uh, he would take a pay packet of £142,500. But it's okay, he'll be like Tony Blair. They get rewarded as soon as they leave office, you see, with a, a, maybe 11 million off the bat, just for a starter or something like that. So this is the first time a comprehensive list of the public sector workers earning more than £50,000 has been released. This is the first time they've shown the public what they pay for. Alongside this, the government has also revealed plans to set up a public sector transparency board, <laughs> which will oversee its transparency agenda. Frances Maud, the cabinet minister who is to chair the new public sector transparency board, I see her salary too, said the list would uh, let light into the corridors of power. You would need to bring in aircraft search beams and their halogen. Not kidding, you know. He said by opening... Uh, well, Francis Moore is a, is a guy, I guess. He said, by opening and, uh, and accountable, we can start to win back people's trust. <laughs> oh, openness will not be comfortable for us in the government, but it will enable the public to hold our feet to the fire. That will be the day. That will be the day. So transparency is key to our efficiency drive and will enable the public to help us deliver better value for money in public spending. Utter tripe and rot from the mouths of politicians. But that's what they're there for, isn't it? And tying in with this, because this is very important to the U.S., because, see, I read an article yesterday about the millions that they get cut from all health care. Uh, you see, you're, going, you're already under, you're going under the National Health Service for the U.S., which is an authority. It's not there to help you. It's a governmental authority. You'll get lots of shots and so on on behalf of Big Pharma, because they tell government what to do these days, apparently. Anyway, this is an article here uh, by Bruce G. Charlton, and it says, uh, Infostat Cargo Cult Science and the Policy Sausage Machine, NICE, CHI, and the Managerial Takeover of Clinical Practice. Very interesting, this. It says, um, the new management of scientific knowledge, a change in direction with profound implications. This is enabling excellence or imposing control. And he's a professor, a medical doctor, uh, the UEL Centre for Health Services Research, St. Bartholomew's Hospital, London. And he's got a lot of nice little letters behind his names. It says here, in 1993, I published a Lancet, that's a big medical journal in Britain, viewpoint entitled Management of Science, in which I pointed out that purchasing managers in the National Health Service had begun implementing very precise contracts which controlled detailed aspects of clinical practice. That was Charlton, published in 1993. See, they have, they have, they have managers now, like manager, managers in charge of everything. It says, for instance, it became mandatory to specify protocols for beta blocker and aspirin treatment following myocardial infarction heart attacks and for prescription of benzodiazepines, antidepressants and other psychotropic drugs and for aspects of skin cancer management. The justification for these blanket recommendations was that these interventions were scientifically, quotation marks, proven to be effective across the board in almost every clinical circumstance at least according to the NHS management executive's interpretation of the results of large randomized trials, although expert clinicians usually disagreed. 
but the fundamental problem was structural. The government was creating a managerial structure that separated the power to influence treatment from clinical responsibility as the doctors for the consequences of the treatment. For example, managers were claiming the right to determine the nature of a drug prescription, while doctors remained both morally and legally responsible for the outcome. What they're saying is, you see, what they're doing is bringing in the cheaper and cheaper medications across the board, and if we just about a variety to choose from, because we're all different physiologically and how we respond to, to treatments, it's like a one-size-fits-all, you see? This pill will do all these patients here, regardless of, of the, the variations within the disease or problem. It says that this seemed self-evidently unethical and placed doctors in an impossible position of being vulnerable to sacking of uh, if they were disobedient to malpractice suits if they obeyed. So they, they got it both ways and got the managers off the hook by pres- prescribing what they're told to prescribe. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, this is Alan Watford, cutting through the Matrix, reading an article called Infostat, Cargo Cult Science and the Policy Sausage Machine. See, that's when government takes over medical practice, basically. NICE, CHI and the managerial takeover of clinical practice. And the problems, the problems are manifest, really. This is both the fundamental problems, structural, the government was creating a managerial structure that separated the power to influence treatment from clinical responsibility for the consequences of the treatment. For example, the managers, the hospital managers, were claiming the right to determine the nature of a drug prescription, while the doctors remained both morally and legally responsible for the outcome. In other words, it's the tail wagging the dog here once government comes in. This seems self-evidently unethical and placed doctors in the impossible position of being vulnerable to sacking of the, if they were disobedient and to malpractice suits if they obeyed. The system was also open to corruption, because once it's politics in it, since political influence could be brought to bear on managers, tending to generate protocols using criteria dictated by expediency rather than effectiveness. For example, the call for specified protocols on psychotropic drugs were unsupported by any rational consensus on what such protocols should contain, and instructions concerning skin cancer and the failure to differentiate between basal cells, squamous cell, and melanomatous malignancies seemed more justified by the immediate demands of public relations than by any body of solid scientific evidence. As things turned out, I had underestimated, I'd underestimated the seriousness of this kind of threat to clinical practice, and my article unfortunately proved to be prophetic of a trend of which has culminated in the creation of NICE and CHI. The management of science and medicine is now established by statute, and even worse, the criteria of effectiveness have been conflated with economic considerations of cost-effectiveness. The stage is set for clinical science to be steamrolled by the demands of power politics. That's what you get when you've got a national health service run by the same sharks that go into politics and all their hangers-on and their family members that they tend to come into, get into the civil service departments. They get these big wonderful salaries like $250,000 per year, that kind of stuff, or pounds per year, sorry. It's much more than dollars. 
So that's what's coming into the states. Now the U.S. is just—I got to admit it too—the the cost for treatment is disgusting. Because the people who go into medicine these days go in to get the cash, you see, and the status and the prestige. But it's disgusting what they're charged for, for, for care. Utterly disgusting. Of course it is. And to be honest with you too, I think if they opened universities and paid people through the universities who had a, a flair and a talent and a real desire for medicine and not just the cash and trained them, and put plenty out there, so they're all competing with each other. I think it'd be far, far better. But it's a closed shop, you see. They don't want that. It's far better than going through a national health service system where literally managers run the system and not your physicians. They run your treatment and your lack of it for cost-effective reasons. Well, they take home incredible salaries. So National Health Services run by government is not the answer at all. Disgusting, isn't it? Absolutely disgusting. Now, it ties in again with, with the, the big New World Order idea and globalism and yada, 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 all that stuff. Because we are managed along a, a predetermined path by uh, those who rule the world. And I'm putting up a link tonight too at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com you know, if you do, if you go in there after the show, eventually I'll get these links up. If ExploreNet uh, allows me to uh, use my service that I'm paying for. By the way, I've got about 50 receipts from uh, for the for the first time, all at one go in the mail from them because I complained to them that they weren't billing. You know, they were taking the money, but they weren't giving me any receipts. So I got about 50 today, just massive. No kidding. That's that's how efficient they are. It only took them two months after the last complaint to do it. Now, this article here. It's public service announcements, campaigns, and it shows you what they've lined up in the U.S. especially, using marketers, of course, and all the tricks they've used in the past uh, for the 2010 winter immunization campaign. Now, the U.S. government in Britain and everywhere else has signed on for umpteen years with the, the latest flu vaccines in advance. So, so they're, going to pay, they're going to use it all make sure we all get it, you see. And, and train us to get all boosters every year for everything else we've got as well. Train the public. It's training the public. You see, we're just animals that get trained. And they show you the techniques. If you read them, you're actually seeing techniques here. Uh, what, what they're doing. This is Kathleen Sebelius encourages Americans to get their H1N1 flu shot. So they're going to get bowl games, PSA TV. Help keep Indian country healthy. Indian Health Services Director Dr. Robodo and HHS Secretary Sibelius encouraged vaccination amongst tribal nations through TV and radio. And actor Wes Studi wants fellow American Indians to take three and protect the circle of life. I guess that's TV shows or whatever. Protect your family radios. Massive campaigns with that too. Four flu prevention rate of PSCs encourage African Americans, especially those with underlying health conditions, to protect their families by getting vaccinated. Then the children, they're called Sid the Kid, getting a shot. You can do this. HHS partnered with Jim Henson Company to produce a full episode of Sid the Science Kid, which premiered on October 2009. Sid and his classmates of PBS series explored gems, viruses and vaccines just in time for flu season. And I'll be back with more after these messages.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. This is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, just going over the campaigns being launched and how they've got every group targeted, using your tax money, of course, to make sure you all get the flu to keep pharma happy. And I'm sure lots of money exchanges hands with politicians as they get lobbied and all that. That's how lobbyists work. They don't just go up and persuade people. They money passes, you see. And well, well not, sometimes not in office, sometimes when they leave office, but there's always ways to pay them. And that's always been the way of it, you know. But as I say, one of them is uh, getting the shot. You can do it. So the HHS partnered with Jim Henson Company, blah, 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 uh, to tell children about germs and viruses and vaccines just in time for the flu season. Then there's the governor with Sid. Why the flu vaccine? Sid is getting the H1N1 flu shot and wants to know why. These governors, who are medical experts, obviously, these governors, help explain why children need to be vaccinated. Fro, it says fro, I mean, they mean from... Uh, for the influenza. It says fro here, so I guess Sid can't spell either. Or maybe it's the governor. It says, together we can all fight the flu for TV and radio, HSS, joined with Ad Council to launch a new nationwide campaign called Together We Can All Fight the Flu that encourages Americans to get vaccinated against the H1N1 flu virus. Uh, this set of 10 video and audio PSAs are targeted for, targeted, remember, for parents, young adults, and pregnant women. And it goes on and on. Elmo with the governor. Elmo with the governor. Across the country, state governors teamed up with Elmo to help spread the message of flu prevention. Then it's the right way to sneeze. Elmo and Rosita sing a song to teach children. I say children like kids. I prefer children's better, better word. To sneeze into their elbow. A kid's a young goat, by the way. Dehumanization. Uh, so teaching children to sneeze into their elbow and have a flu plan. Elmo and Louie note the need for parents to think about what would happen if they had a child get sick, and that's in English and Spanish. Happy and healthy on Sesame Street, in these four videos, Elmo and Gordon offer flu prevention tips, teaching children to practice healthy habits. So there's a whole bunch of them. So, so puppets will be shown. Yes, that's grown-ups, you see, adults getting a lot of money to put their hands inside socks and pretend that they're actually uh, talking to children. That's going, that's going to convince, that's where your tax money is going. And on and on it goes, celebrity PSAs. You must get celebrities into it too, because everyone today uh, worships, you know, what we think of the successful. And remember too, in your flu shots this year, they've added the swine flu into it when they call it the H1N. They've actually added it into it, just for your information. You know, that non-existent swine flu, that's okay. Now, I was looking into social influencing because, as I say, it sounds very benign, very benign indeed. Uh, everything, well, so what's wrong with social influencing? Don't we all get influenced or try to influence others? This is a psychology, a technique they're talking about, and how they're using the Internet and NGOs and so on to get messages across to the public to change our ways and our habits. Yesterday I mentioned how Google and Microsoft, these guys, are put up, uh, putting up sites uh, and programs out 
so that you can start comparing your neighbor's energy use with your own and it's to create social approval and disapproval. Well, that comes under psychological social influencing, a technique that's used by Sunstein and others. And it's to make you change your ways. And I, and one of the, one of these companies that are doing that is called Footprints, you see. Step Green. Step Green. And of course they're, they're getting well funded by uh, the government and different foundations and so on. They're using this technique here and this is leveraging internet scale technologies to help individuals to reduce energy consumption. Now they're working in, in with the big boys, you know, Harvard and so on. To, and psychology to get you to change your ways. Now, here's what they start off with. The average American consumes 12.5 times the energy of the average citizen of Africa or Asia. They're very intelligent there. You understand that? You can, you can tell. Now, the thing is, um, I don't know of the Africans who have to heat themselves six months of the year or more, like I do here where I live here in Canada. And, and simple little facts like that mean an awful lot when you're freezing. It says with approximately, th- and, and I, and, and why should we be like Africa anyway? Huh? Or Asia? We are not Asia and we're not Africa. So why must the world be standardized and compared with each other? You see? For this globalization. But we know what it is. We have to go back to the caves, caveman, you know. Uh, so anyway, here they go, um, 12.5 times the energy of the average citizens of Africa or Asia, with approximately 300 million citizens, that adds up to 200 billion metric tons of CO2, utter codswallop. They just pick this stuff out there, of course, literally CO2 comes out there, or just over a third of the total waste produced across all sectors of the U.S. economy. Of the other two-thirds, much is produced as the byproduct of the process of meeting the needs of individuals. For example, the transportation of food, production of goods, and so on, all generates waste. As a result, personal choice can have a huge impact on energy, consumption, and waste production. Thus, a solution to global warming, again, this this fictional stuff, depends on change at the individual level. Well, you see, they already have a captive audience of children in school who can't just walk out and say this is codswallop. So they've got them stuck there getting brainwashed with this stuff and presented by adults whom they're taught to respect and they will believe what they're told as they grow up. But it's the ones who are already grown up, you see, who think they are in a way, who watch television a lot and stuff that they're going after. The impact of individual choice can be seen in the increasingly popularity of organic foods, hybrid cars, and other environmentally friendly consumption choices. Well, remember Sunstein with his book Nudge, how they, how they nudge you without your knowing it into making the right choices. This is what it's all about, folks. You're, you're not in charge of yourself. You never actually have been. Never. In the past year, with the funding from Google, Intel, and the NSF, Right? So they're getting funding here from Google. There's only one organization all getting funded by Google, Intel, and the NSF. We have built stepgreen.org, a website that induces changes in energy consumption. It induces changes through personalized information presented frequently and appropriately through social influence processes. That is persuasion by peers. They go for you all until your friends are all yapping about something and they'll say, oh, I'm going green, you know, and you feel kind of left out and you think, well, you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, well, geez, I'm still kind of ooh, pale. Well, stuff like that. So until you want to get green as well. Green used to make sick. You look kind of sick if you're going, you're going to throw up or something. 
But now apparently it's healthy. Maybe it's a reference to the fact we've been dumbed down to the state of vegetables. Anyway, it says, by competitive interaction with other groups who are similarly trying to save energy. And they've got in brackets, Mankoff et al. in submission. Step Green Org encourages and assists individuals in reducing their ecological footprints or the amount of natural resources required to support them. You understand this is creating social approval and social disapproval until the mob will turn on you. And it will happen, folks. Yet most folk out there have no minds of their own. The opinions are induced opinions that they have. And they'll even get angry about it. And I've used this technique, remember, on, on, in, in little prison colonies like China. China was one, was one vast prison colony. Perfect laboratory, same as the Soviet Union was. And they, they tried all this stuff out to see if they can encourage people through different psychological techniques to get them all to go along the same direction at the same time with the same topics. Well, that's what they're doing here. And they, they use social approval and social disapproval. So it says, Step Green encourages and assists individuals in reducing their ecological food or the amount of natural resources required to support them. Our development specifically targets frequently visited portal sites such as iGoogle and MySpace, which can be easily configured by end users to display either RSS feeds, that's news feeds containing information generated by our software, or badges, custom generated images showing a progress report, that is the example below. Step Green is an umbrella project that brings together faculty, that's the universities, and research from several disciplines including behavioral science, environmental engineering, and computer science. They're putting it all together, and that's what the computer is really for, folks. Some of the projects we're working on include an exploration of how to structure our messaging to support a diverse body of users, a polar bear, uh, Tamagotchi, and sensors that can automate the reporting of popular actions. All feedback from you as you go into these sites to go green. They're monitoring all of you, you see. And you'll get personalized stuff popping up in your, your computer from them, of course, as they watch you and tailor make it to suit you. You know, nudging your choices. To find out more about the green, they say, meet us at the site and so on. So it's funded, the site itself and the company is funded by Intel, NSF and Google. There you go. Now, there's lots of them out there, and you would not believe how you're influenced every day by, as I say, a thousand different messages from a thousand different sources. They're even beaming stuff right in your head. In New York, I read the article last year, where they can do a voice to skull and target you out of a crowd. And then you suddenly feel yourself wanting a coffee or a donut or something, and away you go to this store that just happens to be across the street. Wonderful, isn't it? Wonderful how you can all be manipulated with impunity because government allows it when they want it allowed. Interesting. But they call it social influencing. You see, a big science, actually. Lots of books out there on it by professors because it's a biggie in universities. And they're working, bringing in the New World Order to make sure you have all the right opinions about everything that's proper, you see. That's how it works. That's how it works. Now, in April, I touched on a, an article, and it was from Washington's blog, to do with the IMF and 
how they classify a country as third world. But I didn't get it finished because it was at the end of the show, I think. And it's April 26th. It says, America is losing its imperial status and global institutions such as the IMF, the G20 and the BIS are filling the void. It says, when the International Monetary Fund or World Bank offers to lend money to a struggling third world country or emerging market, they demand austerity measures. That's why you're hearing austerity. And that's why you're getting taught by the Greenies there to be austere. As Wikipedia describes it, in economics, austerity is when a national government reduces its spending in order to pay back creditors. Austerity is usually required when a government's fiscal deficit spending is felt to be unsustainable. Development projects, welfare programs, and other social spending are common areas of spending for cuts. So welfare programs, uh, that also means uh, health care programs too, by the way. And it's already happening in other countries, and the U.S. is cutting billions off their health care. In many countries, austerity measures have been associated with short-term standard of living declines until economic conditions improve once fiscal balance was achieved, such as in the United Kingdom under Margaret Thatcher, Canada under Jean Chrétien, and Spain under Gonzalez. Most of these folk don't even know they were under the IMF and getting ruled at that time. Private banks or institutions like the International Monetary Fund may require that a country pursues an austerity policy if it wants to refinance loans that are about to come due. The government may be asked to stop issuing subsidies or to otherwise reduce public spending. When the IMF requires such a policy, the terms are known as IMF conditionalities. Now remember too, during this whole period that Canada and, and all these countries uh, are, are under the IMF, we're borrowing money to give loans out to third world countries, which we are put down as the guarantors for, you know, the taxpayer. Think of all this, folks. <laughs> Wikipedia goes on to point out, austerity programs are frequently controversial as they impact the poorest segments of the population and often lead to a wider separation between the rich and poor. In many situations, austerity programs are imposed on countries that were previously under dictatorial regimes, well, I guess that says, leading to criticism that populations are forced to repay the debts of their oppressors. And that is true. There's a whole list of them up in Wikipedia of all the dictators they funded. What does this have to do with the first world? Since the IMF and the World Bank lend to third world countries, you may reasonably assume that this has nothing to do with first world countries like the US and the UK. But England's economy is in dire straits, and rumours have abounded that the UK might have to rely on a loan from the IMF. And as former U.S. Comptroller General David Walker said, people seem to think the American government has money. The government doesn't have any money. Indeed, the IMF has already performed, most Americans don't know this, a complete audit of the whole U.S. financial system, something which they have only previously done to broke third world nations. Shall I repeat that for the harder thinking? Indeed, the IMF has already performed a complete audit of the whole U.S. financial system, something which they have only previously done to broke third world nations. Al Martin, the former contributor to the Presidential Council of Economic Advisers and retired naval intelligence officer, observed in an April 2005 newsletter, now listen to this, that the ratio of total U.S. debt to gross domestic product rose from 78% in 2000 to 308% in April 2005. Listen to this. The International Monetary Fund considers a nation-state with a total debt-to-GDP ratio of 200% or more 
to be a deconstructed third world nation state. Right? 200% or more. And the U.S. in 2005, it rose up to 308%. Way above the 200% or more to be a deconstructed third world nation state. Martin explained what deconstructed actually means is that a political regime in that country or a series of political regimes have, through a long period of fraud, abuse, graft, corruption and mismanagement, effectively collapsed the economy of that country. I'd also say signed it away through GATT and other treaties to put it off in China. The IMF is in fact now saying that the U.S. must live more austerely. As the Washington Post noted Saturday, in the lingo of the International Monetary Fund, the future of the world hinges on rebalancing and consolidation, antiseptic words that would not seem to raise a fuss. But the translation is a bit ruder, something in the order of suck it up, the party's over. To get the global economy on track, people in the United States and the rest of the developed world need to work longer before retiring, pay higher taxes and expect less from government. And the cheap imports lining the shelves of mega chains such as Walmart and Target, they need to be more expensive. And they are going up, all those that cheap junk that last year a few months. That's the practical meaning of a series of policy papers and statements issued in recent days by IMF officials who have a long history of stabilizing economies and solving global financial problems as they plot a course to keep the world economy growing and reduce the risk of another great recession. But when you go into the Wikipedia, it's good, to, it's interesting to look at all the dictators they funded. The IMF actually funded them. And they left, when those dictators left, they left their countries with a, a greater debt, uh, and sometimes a complete debt where there was none before, but a massive debt at the end of the IMF's management. Back after this break with more. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix and there's a caller from Massachusetts, Leo. Is Leo there? Taking the call. Yeah, I, um, you know about the, uh, the letter from, uh, Pike to Mazzini, right? About the, uh, three world wars. Yeah, yeah. Now I, I have this, uh, rather unfortunate scenario I see happening now. I sent it to one of my contacts in Israel on Facebook. And it kind of went like this. How World War III may be triggered. Next flotilla has a Turkish ship sunk by the NWO. Israel gets blamed, just like Israel tried to sink the USS Liberty in 67 to blame Egypt. Now it will be Israel's turn to take the blame. And then I said at the back, at the last bit, I said, hello, glass pit. Yep, whatever. But uh, you're trying to say, you're trying to make a point of what? That the, um, the 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 Turkish ship, which will be guarding the next flotilla, yeah, might get sunk, but it might not be sunk by Israel. But Israel will get will get the blame for it. Well, you're you're dealing in the world of again geopolitics, and we'll never get the whole truth on anything here, except the fact that. If you go into the, the project for the new American century, and that's up on the web from their own site, you have to go into that 
to see, uh, and they admit it quite freely, uh, that that the U.S. and Israel are joined at the hip if it comes to politics in the Middle East, completely joined at the hip. And uh, there's so many articles, they have links from their own website to Project for a New American Century. You've got to read through it to see the geopolitical plans, because they did talk about going through all the countries in turn, beginning uh, with um, Afghanistan, Iraq, to be followed by Iran, and then Syria. And as far as I can see, they're, they're following this course. And whatever it takes to make it happen, whatever it takes to make it happen, will be done to make it happen. Because these guys don't change their plans at the top. And as far as I see, too, Obama's um, administration is following the same plan as his predecessor. Um, and they're completely on board with this thing. So is Britain as well. Britain's uh, had uh, an articles up there with uh, the funding of uh, the Zionist groups to, to the politicians in Britain. And you'll see Cameron, uh, the prime minister now, saying whatever Israel does, is he's okay. it's okay by me. So... You've got power politics, uh, you've got the wealth of the Middle East at stake here, all of the oil, minerals and resources, and they definitely want to standardize the world into one system, and the Muslim nations are not too happy about that. Um, We really will never get to the bottom of anything, but whatever it takes to make it happen, whatever it takes, will be done. It's the same with this thing in the Gulf right now. I can't believe all all the screw-ups that BP made unless it was intentional. And people say, well, no one no one would destroy a whole part of the U.S. coastline to get an agenda through. Or, or really? Really? We're talking about people who have created world wars to get a U.N. agenda through. And they've talked openly about it and boasted about it in their own books, like the H.G. Wells. I mean, we're dealing here with... Millions of people are expendable to get this agenda through. And they can spend as much money cleaning up the sea afterwards once they sign it. I think it's strange, too. It happens right in time for the G20 and G8 meetings. And that'll be prime at the top of it. We've got to cut back and maybe not drive cars anymore. Live in our little commutarian areas and uh, be led by world managers. But I know what you're trying to say. It's an awful mess. We'll never get the truth. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God's school with you.